Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Victoria Albina. She's a holistic nurse practitioner, a life coach, a breathwork facilitator, and she hosts her own podcast called the Feminist Wellness Podcast. So, Victoria, thanks for coming on my podcast. I appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. I'm stoked to be here. If you would tell me a bit about your background and, you know, what made you start your own podcast and, you know, uh, get into women's health, besides the obvious, by the way. (laughs) So wait, what's the obvious? Oh, that you're a woman. So I guess it makes sense that you might be interested in women's health. That's probably obvious. (laughs) Cool, cool, cool. I came to this work because I was really sick myself. Uh, I had wicked irritable bowel syndrome, intermittent depression and anxiety, which happens when your gut is a hot mess and your microbiome is wildly out of whack. And through all those years of looking to get help from the Western medical system, I didn't find a lot of it. I didn't really get support that got down to the root cause of what was happening for me. I eventually found herbalism, functional medicine, and a world well beyond Western medicine where I was able to really get a holistic evaluation that helped me to figure out what was wrong with me physiologically, right? What was going on biologically. But all that love and all that care never helped me to really see what I've come to understand as the true root cause that kept me sick beyond having parasites, beyond having bacterial overgrowth. And that was my mindset. My thinking about myself was stuck in codependent, perfectionist, and people-pleasing habits that kept me sourcing my worth, my emotional wellness, my sense of self, my validation from everyone in the world other than me. So it was really while my body started to heal, I kept getting sick because I wasn't in ventral vagal which is the safe and secure social part of our nervous system. As much as I was in sympathetic overdrive, full of adrenaline, norepinephrine, cortisol, 
or in dorsal shutdown, that acetylcholine state that, well, I don't really know what to do, sort of overwhelm depressive state. And until I learned to really support my nervous system, it was impossible for me to find true, lasting, sustainable wellness. And having learned about my nervous system, I now, the work I do now as a life coach is to bring all of that to the world and to help humans socialize as women to heal themselves from codependent, perfectionist, and people-pleasing thought habits. Technical question. This kind of came up today. I was interviewing someone about endometriosis. Do you know if there's any studies on how a woman's microbiome changes as she goes through her cycle? Oh, through the, the course of the of the month? I don't know yeah, if there I, I are just realized, studies. I don't know if there's anything on it. Yeah. yeah, I don't know who would pay to get that study done, right? Because that's always often what it comes down to in, in science is who's paying for the lab time, right? Well, women, uh, women are only half the population. I mean, you know, it's not important. Right. It's not like we matter. No, good point. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. For sure. <laughs> yeah. But I'd be really fascinated about that. So we can extrapolate, right? We can look at how uh, shifts in hormones directly impact the gut microbiome. And so, and cortisol, right? And stress hormones and how that impacts the microbiome. And we know that estrogen, testosterone, right? Our progesterone, our sex hormones, there's a modulation between levels of those sex hormones throughout the month and cortisol levels. So I think it'd be pretty easy to extrapolate out that shifts in hormone levels throughout the month impact the gut microbiome. But man, I think I've got some PubMed time in front of me. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> well, me yeah. too. You know, it just made me realize, like, I, I know I've said this before on different podcasts too, is, you know, any drugs that are prescribed, I've never once heard of you know, any, any drug data looking at women again throughout their cycle and how a particular drug affects them. I don't even know if they're tested or in a cohort. So it seems like a whole big black hole. I mean, not surprising, right? Like women's health is often at the very bottom of the barrel. And most studies, as I know, you know, are done on, on men and then are extrapolated to women's health. So Mm. yeah, I guess in a more positive vein. So you essentially helped yourself and fixed yourself what was that journey like? Like, what did you do at first? And what, what happened to you along the way? Yeah. So putting the sort of uh, medical part aside, that was lots of tests, lots of, you know, playing with diet, lots and lots of supplements over many, many years, some of which worked, much of which didn't. The process of coming to really heal my way of thinking and heal my somatic or bodily relationship with me, with myself, I like to frame, and this is the framework I use with my clients in the three A's awareness, acceptance, and then action. So awareness has to be the first step. People love to jump right to action, right? It depends. I mean, either they haven't taken action in so long, they fear action, or when they really get to get going, they want to jump into everything and get an immediate solution. At least I feel like both ways. Right. So I would say that we can think about that procrastination that I talk on my show about pressured procrastination that comes from perfectionism. We think we have to do it right. We have to do all the right things. And so we put all this stress on ourselves that we can't just do it the best way we can today. It has to be fantasy land perfect. And so that's often a big reason of why we don't get started. So I think we could call that procrastination an action, right? It's an inaction, but it it is the action we're taking in the moment of thinking oh man, I got to do this perfectly or not at all, right? So people are paralyzed by inaction and you're right, that's still doing something by doing nothing. 
waiting exactly. is still an action or not taking action is still an action. Yeah, exactly. And we can bring a lot of compassion in because we can recognize that that's often really driven by the nervous system. When we are in that dorsal freeze, which is one of the three main states of our nervous system per polyvagal theory, the work of Dr. Stephen Porges, we can see that being overwhelmed in our nervous system is what often leads us to that shutdown inaction phase. And we often need a little sympathetic, a little activation energy to help us to move through that steady state of dorsal so we can take action. But if we don't understand our nervous system and we don't know how to regulate our nervous system, it's really hard to know to do that. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. So I don't know what you're saying about dorsal and this, that, and the other. What does that mean to regulate your nervous system? What state are people in and how do they help themselves? Yeah, absolutely. We can totally shift to that. So polyvagal theory, the work of Dr. Stephen Porges, looks at the vagus nerve, which is the 10th cranial nerve, the longest nerve in the human body that enervates or gives nerve function to pretty much most of our bodies. And so this nerve is doing this constant communication between brain and body and is sending signals with the primary focus being safety and survival. So this is evolutionarily a very, very, very old system. It works mostly with the limbic system, which is the evolutionarily oldest part of our human minds that we share with lizards and reptiles and other mammals. And so in polyvagal theory, we understand that the autonomic or automatic nervous system has three main parts. Ventral vagal, which ventral means the front body, is the part of us that's constantly surveying the outside world through neuroception, our understanding of the world around us and our stories about whether it's safe or not. And so we neurocept, we take in information from the world around us, and we put it through this filter in our nervous system that says, that's a lion, that's a tabby cat, that's a stick in the grass, that's a cobra, right? So it's either we're cool, we're chill, everything's good, or freak out. So in the everything's chill, we are in that place in ventral vagal. When we're looking at the world, listening to the world, uh, smelling the world, and we feel safe and okay. We feel social. We can have a conversation. Someone's talking to us. They're making whatever level of eye contact feels safe for us, feels good for us. They're smiling a sincere smile. They have a prosodic voice, which means a voice that has a natural sing song to it versus a monotone voice, like that robot voice that gives many of us sort of the, the creepies or the heebie-jeebies on a gut body level. So ventral vagal is all cool. We're good. We can have a conversation. I feel grounded in myself. I feel safe in your presence. On a body level, we are good. When we're in ventral vagal, and that's our body's preferred place to be, our thyroid works optimally. We can digest optimally. We have optimal reproductive function, optimal cognitive function. Our heart rate, our blood pressure, our glucose metabolism, our breathing rate, our diaphragm action 
pretty much most of the animal is working optimally. And so yeah, when this, you say a bagel, I think of like a New York cream cheese bagel instead of a bagel. But it's like anyway, that. Yeah. But this one, yeah, 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 it's similar. It's similar. You can get this one gluten free, which is really nice. So <laughs> that's cool. It's not too chewy on the outside, which I really appreciate because, you know, you know, how gluten free things can be kind of gross sometimes. Yeah. So though I would get mine everything. How do you like your bagel? <laughs> I haven't had one in a while, but, you know, either chicken salad or cream cheese is good. A lot of cream oh, nice toasted or yeah definitely toasted otherwise it's blah. really even if it's fresh like even if you get there at like seven in the morning well i don't live in new york anymore i'm in austin texas and uh you know their bagels are really are they even bagels? can you even right. call them a bagel i don't know that you can exactly yeah it's a sad sad story my heart goes out to you but um, <laughs> right on okay so back to the ventral bagel so ventral bagel the safe and social part when our bodies neurocept or take in the experience that we are not safe in this moment, the first thing we'll try to do is to create safety if we can while staying in ventral vagal. So let's go with an example of someone getting mugged. So if someone comes up to you in a dark alley and is like, give me your bag, the first thing you're going to do as a mammal is to say, cool, 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 dude, we're cool. Okay, yeah, totally. Take my bag. Here's my watch. Do you want my phone? Like, we're good. Like, please don't hurt me. So we try to connect, right, to co-regulate our nervous system. So you ask, what does regulating a nervous system mean? It means influencing and supporting, managing our nervous system so we can experience any of these states in the safest way possible and can bring ourselves back into ventral vagal. It's like a sine wave, right? We have sympathetic activation throughout the day. We have dorsal throughout the day. And I'm going to explain what those are in just a second, but we find our way back to ventral vagal. So let me pause here. So you're, you're getting mugged, right? You try to be chill. You're cool. Let's say that doesn't work. That's when your body goes into sympathetic fight or flight. This also happens when you get a text from a partner that's like, Hey babe, we need to talk or an email from your boss that says, hey, we need to talk, right? Or when the 47th ding and notification goes off on your phone in a day and you're telling the story, oh my God, today is so overwhelming, you shoot up into sympathetic activation. Adrenaline, norepinephrine, and then eventually cortisol are released into your bloodstream, increasing stress. And when we say stress hurts your health, this is why, right? Because we're not in ventrovagal, which is when our bodies work optimally. And we're flooded with these stress hormones that rev all of our systems up and are not healthy for our skins, our cells rather, to be awash in. So in sympathetic, we're activated. We either are going to punch a lion or a mugger in the nose, or I'm five, three and three quarters. I'm going to book it out of there. I'm going to run as fast as I can because I'm little. So we go into fight or we go into flight. In relationships, uh, fight or flight can look like getting defensive, stonewalling, being argumentative, not listening, and instead arguing your case or going to 10 out of 10 anger, sort of like that. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Yeah, what about scrolling through social media all day and, you know, again, millions of notifications on your phone, and that seems to be a, a huge source, distraction and putting you into that anxious state constantly. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Particularly when we are using social media and scrolling our phones as a buffer, meaning something that we use to push away our emotions so we don't feel them. 
And then, or let's say you had a fight with a partner or you're feeling bad about your body. And then you go on social media and there's all these gorgeous couples and like all these like beautiful polished pictures. It can absolutely get us more sympathetic. Good call. Yeah. So then the last state is uh, dorsal, which is the freeze state. And going into full dorsal is a pretty extreme reaction. Most of us, when we get a little sort of checked out, it's just sort of a lighter form of dorsal, to put it that way. So dorsal is the nervous system stance of last response. That is a feigned death response. So it's like a possum playing possum, a deer in the headlights. If we think to the animal kingdom, which is where a lot of the early analysis and understanding of polyvagal came from, we can see that if a lioness is hunting a gazelle and catches a gazelle, the gazelle will fall to the ground and will play dead. The lioness will then say, fabulous, I just got dinner for all my cubs. She'll go back to the cave to get the cubs and she'll bring them on over. And while she's bringing the cubs over, the gazelle will slowly open its eyes, look around. And if there's no lion, she'll get up, do a full body shake and take off running because there's really not prey that wants to eat something that's dead, right? Uh, Unless they killed it themselves in the case of this lioness. And then she's going to need a minute to get the little ones. So a feigned death response gives us a moment to escape. It also, when we are in dorsal, we are numb. We are numbed to pain. So when you think about people who have a lot of depression and do self-harm acts like cutting, they're trying to feel something because they're in so much dorsal that they're not feeling pain. They're probably not feeling much of anything really. And so that pain reduction is because our bodies are like, yo, you're about to get eaten by a lion. Like, let's not have this hurt so damn much. So in humans on the daily, that can look like, Yeah, depression, overwhelm, the end result of compare and despair, which might make you feel sympathetic at first, and then is just like overwhelming to your mind, your body, your nervous system. And so you you get into that shutdown place. And so our bodies know how to regulate us through all three states throughout the day. And self-regulation, as well as co-regulation, which is when we regulate with another person, is to honor the nervous system state we are in and to do whatever care we need in that state so we can gently bring ourselves back into some ventral vagal energy. Okay, so I mean, what do you do with somebody? If, if someone between social media and their own mind, ruminating, et cetera, and things that go on in their life or in this constant agitated state, what do you do? How do you help? How would I help them as their coach or how could they help themselves? Both. How would you coach them so they could help themselves? Yeah, so I would... Again, awareness, acceptance, action, help them to see their own mind, to see their own thinking that has them constantly reaching for the phone. I would get really curious. What are the feelings underneath that action? Right. So if we understand that our feelings are fuel for our action, anytime we are particularly chronically engaging in an action that doesn't serve us, we can ask ourselves, what feeling is taking me to here? Or What feeling am I trying to avoid feeling that is taking me to the phone and to the endless scrolling and to like all that doom spiral? So I would start there, really raising awareness there and then accepting that this is their habit, that this is for whatever reason, this is the comfortable chaos for them. It is a way that they have learned to support themselves in a way that's not supportive, if that makes sense, right? And from there would really help them to see their own minds, see their own thinking, right? And through that process, 
start to figure out what the experience in their body is. So what the somatic or bodily experience is while they're scrolling. And then actually more importantly, before they start scrolling, before they pick up the phone, what's happening in your body and in your mind and how can you begin to shift both experiences so you can start to make different choices for yourself? All right. So yeah, if you would, is there a particular example with one of your coaching students that jumps out at you? You know, either you got a really good result or something the coaching student said, like, you're like, whoa, you know, that really taught me something or I don't know, just an experience you've had that kind of, you know, gives more specifics to this ventral vagal dorsal type stuff and, you know, what people experience when you coach them. Yeah, absolutely. I love that question because there are so many examples from every day in my coaching practice. So folks come to me really feeling uh, disconnected from their sense of self. And I can think of one client, Krista, who I worked with about three years ago. And I actually just heard from her last week that she's doing really well. So she was going through a really challenging marriage. Things were, they were fighting all the time and she really didn't know what boundaries were before our work. And so she was saying yes to so many things in life that she really didn't want to. And every time she said yes from obligation, from guilt, from shame, from her stories, like a good wife, a good partner, a good friend says yes and always shows up for the people in their life or they're selfish and that's a problem, which is the story we were able to identify through coaching. She was able to realize where she was giving all of her power away, all of her energy away, her time away, and was left with pretty much nothing for herself. When we started coaching, Krista had pretty bad irritable bowel syndrome. I'd pretty, she maybe had pooped herself on the Q train in New York, <laughs> which is not a, a story oh, no. I have not. Yeah, right. That's a, and if I was going to poop myself on MTA, I don't think I'd go for the Q train. I'd go for like a quiet train, like the six. What about you? You take the H train, you play the song, and there you go. I love it. I so gotta be point. careful with so, you. I, I come up with these puns and everything, and you come right back like times three. So I get a eight. Oh, time, okay, times eight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Brooklyn go, in the house. Ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right on. So, yeah. So, this wicked irritable bowel syndrome, she'd been to every gastroenterologist in the New York tri state area and a bunch of functional medicine people who had helped, but it kept coming back and kept coming back. It was a real problem. And so we started to map her nervous system. So she kept a journal of what she'd been eating, how she'd been feeling in her digestion and her emotional state. And so we started to overlay onto that map where her nervous system was. And so you can sort of just draw it like a sine wave with ventral vagal in the middle, sympathetic activation at the top and dorsal at the bottom. And so she realized that every time her partner with whom she was constantly arguing, constantly fighting would make what felt to her like a demand, not a request. When those words would be said, she'd feel this zap in her belly and this flush of what we were able to identify as activation energy as sympathetic. And she would get this like, she felt rageful, but it was like tamped down because she had learned, you know, a good girl doesn't, you know, isn't angry, keeps it quiet, doesn't let her rage be seen. And so she would sort of be gritting her teeth and it would be like, Sure, of course I can do that. I'd be happy to. But inside, she like wanted to punch him in the nose, right? She was having fight or flight and she felt so much rage. She felt taken advantage of. She felt not seen. 
And in her marriage, she wasn't being seen and she also wasn't seeing herself. And so through this process of mapping her nervous system onto her daily life, right? He'd ask her something, she'd say yes when she didn't want to, she'd feel all that sympathetic and then would crash out into dorsal and would just get into the like overwhelmed, I'll never get out of this, I can't change my life, I'm sort of doomed energy and eventually fell into quite a funk, into quite a depression. Being able to see the overlap of mindset, nervous system and circumstance allowed her to start cluing into her body so that she could feel before that zap of, of activation of anxious, sympathetic activation in her body was like a 10 out of 10. She started to be able to feel it when it was an eight, when it was a six, when it was a four, when it was a two, and when it was not even a one yet. So she'd feel that little zap. And that was her clue, right? To say, I need a break. I heard your request and I'll be right back. I'm just going to pop to the bathroom, which like, frankly, her IBS gave her such a great excuse to be like, oh, I'm just going to the bathroom. You know me, right? So that was convenient. She'd go to the bathroom, take a deep breath and do one of the somatic practices that she had learned through her work and through our work together in Anchored, my six month program. One of the practices like doing figure eights with your hand, finger tapping, you know, there's a whole set of somatic practices that we can use to really balance and regulate and calm our nervous system. So she would do one of those practices. Um, in my six month program, we have a, a group Slack. So she would hop on the Slack and she would ask for coaching. She would say, Hey Vic, my husband just did the thing. My body's doing the thing. I need to be seen. I need some love. Will you co-regulate? Right. And we would chat back and forth on Slack and she would slowly be able to bring her nervous system back towards regulation so that when she would go out of the bathroom and go to meet her husband in the, in the kitchen or the living room or wherever, she could speak from a greater sense of self, a greater sense of self-worth, and from not feeling as much obligation, guilt, or shame to always say yes. She was able to start slowly, of course, to respond with a little more boundary. Hey, I'm not able to do that tonight, but I could get to it tomorrow, which turned into, I'm not able to do that tonight. I could get to it next week which slowly turned into, I'm not available to do that task for you. End of story, right? No explanation, no justification. So she was able to be in ventral vagal with herself and then to show up in her relationship with him from a more regulated place, which was leading to less defensiveness, less fighting, overall a much more peaceful relationship, independent of whether he changed or not. Right. Because that's the thing when we're not in uh, sort of tracking and aware of our own nervous system, we think the circumstance and the other person needs to change for our lives to change. And it's just not true. She eventually left him, which, you know, it's not my job to have opinions about my clients' lives, but I thought it was a great idea. But yeah. right. But first, she was able to get to that calm place and to show herself that she could have her back. And to leave him not from, I hate this guy, he's such a jerk, we always fight and it's always his fault, not from feeling like the victim, but from a place of loving herself enough to say, I deserve so much better. And what I heard from her recently, she's doing so well, she's dating again, she's really happy, she changed careers, she's just, she's really shaking it up, but she's shaking it up from ventral vagal and she hasn't pooped herself since. <laughs> well, that's really good, yeah. I can see that it was like a transformation into more and more personal power yeah. where she was able to tell him, nope. Nope. Yeah. Really, really powerful story. It reminds me of the movie Office Space for some reason. And the, the manager saying, 
Yeah, I don't think I'm going to be able to do that. Uh, uh, uh. Similar. (laughs) Similar. So I know everyone's different. It's always the standard, but I don't know how long, how many sessions or how long do you see until people start to really make big changes and get excited about it and then kind of maybe pull themselves through the rest of it? Yeah. So my program is six months because I think we really need a solid six months in community to be able to really, really see our habits to accept that we do the things we do and not, you know, get defensive about it, not sort of push back against facts and to really put the change we want to see into action and then to make it our habit, our go-to. So I think six months is a pretty solid starting time. Okay. Has this evolved into anything of a standard protocol or is it completely unique for each person or, you know, what have you noticed? A combo. You know, I really, I stand by the framework of, awareness, acceptance, and action. And I think that we do need to go through each of those phases if we are to have lasting change, because like we were saying before, just jumping to action doesn't tend to lead to substantive, sustainable change. Whereas pausing and slowly learning how to support ourselves, how to ground ourselves by accepting what's real about ourselves, whether and the people we love, whether we like it or not, right? To step into that radical acceptance is so key. You work with people like all over the world or all over the US? I do, yeah. In the last group of Anchored, we had folks across North America, the US and Canada and Mexico. We had three people in Europe and the group before that, we had Australia and New Zealand. We've had folks in Hong Kong and Singapore. It's so fun. Well, very cool. How do people sign up to uh, get your coaching? Where can they go? Yeah. So if you can head over to victoriaalbina.com backslash anchored is where you can learn all about the anchored program and you can learn about how you can join. You can apply right there. You can also get a suite of free meditations. If you head over to victoriaalbina.com right at the top of the page, there's a little teal bar. If you click on that, it'll take you to the page where you can put your name and your email in and you'll get a nervous system orienting exercise, boundaries, meditation, inner child meditation, so much more just right there for you for free, which is my favorite price. I don't know about you. Yeah, no, ex- excellent. Well, yeah. Victoria, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been very interesting. And I think it will be very interesting for people to check this out because I'm sure most people are in a state of, I don't know, constant overwhelm, it seems like. And I think everyone needs to chill out, including myself, <laughs> to feel better. So thank you for right being on. here. Thank you for having me. Take good care. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.